We're going to start off a little bit unusual way uh, as we look at week number 12 uh, in testing your faith, this story, this uh, study in James, this sermon is called Watch Your Mouth. Yes, yes. Another hard week for me. Writing this sermon. I'm going to start off in a little bit different way. I'm going to read a verse to start this off. Let's look at the next slide. Ephesians 4, 29 to 31. And we're going to visit this verse again later in this sermon. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice be put away from you. All right, well, let's just close in prayer, shall we? Dear, dear God. <laughs> so a couple of serious questions for we, before we get started. Can you remember the most hurtful things someone has ever said to you? I can, and frankly, I can quote them almost perfectly. I remember many of them. I remember where I was. I remember who said it. I remember their exact words. I remember how I felt. And decades later, I can remember every detail, including the smell in the room. Some of these things were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Isn't it amazing how easily we can remember these hurtful things? I'm 56. And some of these moments still run around like ghosts of discouragement in my head. What about the opposite? Can you, can you remember quite literally the nicest things anyone has ever said to you? Oh, I sure can. What is it about words? Why do they have such a massive impact on us? Question, have your words ever hurt anyone? Has your tongue ever exposed you to be a, a hypocrite? Have your words cut, cut someone else like a knife in the past? And they still feel those wounds? In that moment, when you knew that your words were causing pain, did you want them to cause pain? And did you enjoy it? See, long after we forget what we said to people, our words will linger. Our victim remembers. And each time they do, it reopens the wound. Now, have you said really nice things to those in your church family, but then with the same mouth said very hurtful things to those same people? See, all of us, all of us has used our tongue in this way as both a blessing and a curse. Isn't that, it's so hypocritical. Even when we say something nice, is it really nice? It could be passive aggressive, nice. Oh, bless your heart. Or could we even say some things that are nice, but we are actually trying to deceive or manipulate into others to do what we want them to do? So question, do you really trust your mouth? <laughs> do you even know how many times it has caused damage? Every mouth is a problem, right? James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, a little bit bigger passage this week. Look what James says. He starts off talking to me. Only a few of you should become teachers, my brothers. 
I'm moving to Psalms next week. I'm tired of this. <laughs> Only a few of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of the horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. It is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of, uh, un, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring forth pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I want to talk about why this would have been very relevant for James's first century Jewish Christian readers. He gives several warnings about words here, doesn't he? First of all, he warns aspiring teachers. See, the question we need to understand is, why does James warn about too many people desiring to be teachers? Was it a problem? Here's the fact. In the first century, whether you're Roman or Jewish or Greek, every educational system was structured around speech. Rhetoric or speech was the most important skill anyone in society could learn. First century Jewish, Greek, and Roman people, their cultures venerated and glorified people with the gift of rhetoric or verbal expression and persuasion. Orators and teachers were, in fact, the most influential people in culture, in politics, and religion. They often had recognition, prestige, and even wealth. What happened to that part? I mean, goodness sakes, the wealth part would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, as part of that culture, the church also venerated its pastors and teachers. The apostles, for instance, were all beloved. And as the church grew, many teachers from outside saw this incredible opportunity for personal gain to hitch onto and infiltrate the church and become speakers or teachers. And eloquent, dynamic, false teachers would gather followers from within these church communities and it would cause significant division and damage as they preached a false gospel. Many groups like the Judaizers, and we've talked about some of these groups in our past series, the Judaizers, this group called the Gnostics. And the Nicolaitans, we learned about those in the book of Revelation. They successfully inter, in, infiltrated these Christian churches. They were so good at what they did. Did you know even Peter and Barnabas were impacted by these bad teachers? And they had to be confronted face-to-face -face by Paul in Galatians 2 at that one point. We've talked about that before. But the apostles had to put a lot of energy and time into exposing false teachers and warning the church of the damage these false teachers could cause. 
All it took to destroy a small gathering, a community of believers, was one eloquent false teacher whose religion, as we learned last week, was worthless. So the apostles set very clear expectations for how Christians in the first century church from different backgrounds should also communicate with one another. Because, you know, there was some Christian trash talk going along. Look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. There is one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. So as the gospel began to spread throughout the Roman Empire, God was saving Jews from all different backgrounds. Some of them didn't even speak Hebrew. He was also saving Greeks and Romans and everyone from other nations. The church was growing fast and it was becoming more and more diverse, which is a, a great thing. However, the diversity brought with it these internal differences, right? Well, we didn't celebrate this holiday this way or we don't cook it that way or we don't dress this way. And the fact is the political realities of the day along with that intense persecution that the first century church was suffering and these cultural classes from within the church all of this created very fertile ground for conflict. But the apostle said, you're not supposed to talk to yourselves that way. So that's the history, okay? Now you understand why this passage would be so critical. Let's talk about the theology. What about God? What is he doing and why and how does he do it? We, I want to study, we're going to break down a little bit this idea of dangerous tongues. First thing, we're going to go back to the first warning he gives, dangerous teachers. He starts off with that warning about desiring to be teachers. It is just an example of the power of the tongue. The whole passage isn't about teachers, but teachers are a very visible example. You know, one group that Jesus rebuked more than any in his ministry was religious teaching class, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. So James is clearly using the same metaphors about the figs and the water and all that stuff. It's the same ones that Jesus used where? The Sermon on the Mount, when he warned about bad teachers. Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 16 and verse 19, look at this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. See if you recognize these from James's passage. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Does that sound familiar from what we just read? Every tree that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's another connection to the Sermon on the Mount in this passage. The warning about false teachers and people aspiring to teachers would be familiar, it'd be obvious, and it's a great example of how damaging the tongue can be. The tongue of one bad teacher, led by forces of darkness set on fire from hell, can cause massive destruction. One bad teacher can lead an entire community astray, just like a rudder steers a ship or a bridle steers a horse. And the damage caused by his tongue happens fast, like a spark sets a whole fire ablaze in minutes. The warning is this. It's not just to teachers, it's to you. It's to all of us. Hey, don't be so quick to always talk or instruct, or correct, because that's what you are when you correct someone, is it not? You are a teacher. It's a dangerous, treacherous job. Even, you know, James said that in James 1.19. He said, be swift to hear and slow to teach, to talk. 
Most of the time, you'd be better off just keeping your mouth shut since teachers are going to be judged more harshly, right? With that, I'd like to ask, would anyone like to volunteer for this job today? Raise your hand. Anyone? I thought not. Okay. It's on you, Joe. It's on you. And he takes this example of teachers and he rolls it into another example of a problem with our tongue with dangerous words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 to 37. Look what Jesus says here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to teachers again, but he's using them as an example, and you see how he ties it all at the end. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A heart that is not received with meekness, the implanted word of God, has abundance of evil within it. On the day of judgment, people, not just teachers, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Oh, man. For by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. You get nervous yet? It gets worse. I mean better. So you see how even Jesus used the example of teachers. It's a perfect example of the dangerous destruction that lies within every person's mouth. How we talk to or about others in our church family actually reveals whether the word has been implanted into your hearts. The words we say to and about each other reveals our true character. And it reveals whether or not we truly do love our brothers and sisters. And what does John say? If you say you love Jesus and don't love your brother, the truth is not in you. See, with the same tongue that we try to teach and, and pray and offer blessing and sing songs and encourage and provide hope and healing, it can any moment this tongue of ours slip into words of griping and complaining and gossip and slander and arrogant judgment and cursing and insults. It ought not to be that our mouths can be so easily used for both righteousness and wickedness. So we must control it. Agreed? In fact, it's so important to control it. James says this, listen to me, if you can control your tongue, you'll be able to control the whole body. You want to know how good you are at controlling your tongue? Start with how well you resist every other temptation in your life. See, if you, can't, if you can control every word out of your mouth, you'll have no problem in obeying, obeying the entire Old Testament law and you will be perfect. So how you doing? I'll tell you how you're doing. Terrible. Terrible, all of you. Because your tongue is untamable. Your tongue condemns you more than any other part of your body. So if... <laughs> the drummer's a little nervous. So, so if controlling our tongue, if controlling every word is the test of our faith that James is providing, aren't we all in a little bit of trouble today? All right, personal section. Your mouth needs Jesus. Right? So here's the sermon preview this week. Bring that up. Few things can expose how desperately you need the gospel quite like your tongue's hypocrisy. So, so obviously this is one of those passages in James that just seems to want to hit a square in the face. 
There's a lot of those, but this might be the worst one. And it should give every one of us pause because all of us need to take the problem of the hypocrisy in our mouth quite seriously. Proverbs 15.4 says this, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. See, this warning to teachers, they're just the example. This warning applies to every one of us. That's who we become when we feel that we must correct others, is it not? Well, I know more than them in this area. I would never do that. I'm better than them. I'm going to correct them. And if they're wise, they will listen. We desire to teach or correct others, yet we are often the biggest offenders with our own speech. That's why every tongue in this room, not just mine, possesses power for both hurting and healing. Every tongue in this room can destroy relationships, crush hearts, cause infighting. Every tongue in this room can manipulate. Every tongue in this room can bring temptation. Every tongue is prone to cursing and, and gossip and slander and deceit and all the lies. All of it is just as dangerous to the church as any false pastor or preacher or teacher or prophet. We sing worship songs in church on Sunday. And then go to lunch and gossip about one of our brothers and sisters. Mm -mm. We pray for God's blessing in the morning. Then spread rumors about our neighbor or a friend in the evening. We'll post eloquent scripture to social media to encourage one another. And then criticize someone's faith behind their back. We thank God for how blessed we have been. And then in jealousy pick apart someone else's success. We will proclaim the love of God and then go on about how much we hate Trump or Biden or Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Until he signs with the Bucks when he's 44, then we'll... <laughs> we speak words of thanks for God's mercy and grace, right? Oh, we're so thankful for the mercy. Thank God we're redeemed. And then get angry at a brother or sister for some of the same mistakes we've been forgiven for by others and by God. One bad sentence can author one of those devastating, remembering moments that someone will carry with them for a lifetime. So... Does the exposing of your hypocritical tongue make you nervous? Do you have a little bit of spiritual anxiety right now? Are you like, uh, you know, Pastor Joe, we already know your tongue is out of control. <laughs> but I sure hope you work your pastor magic now. I sure hope you have some super eloquent, easy to understand for me kind of solution that will bring this sermon, this terrible, nasty sermon, to a happier ending. Because right now, I don't like where you're going. <laughs> Ephesians 4, look at this passage. This is what we started with, and I'm going to add a verse to it. I'm going to add verse 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's the good news. We're sealed. Let all, <laughs> okay, good. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, 
clamor, slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you for all those times your tongue has condemned you. See, James isn't saying to just be silent. What he's saying is your speech is powerful, and you need to use that power with care and wisdom. Do you have, do you think, the supernatural capacity to understand how dangerous and out of control your mouth can be? Here's the good news. Understanding the problem, that is actually the test of our ropes of faith today. Real faith will understand how our tongue reveals our desperate situation without our Jesus. Real faith is aware of and despises what we know our mouths are capable of when they are not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Real faith understands how easily our words can defile and betray our true nature in Christ, even though we have been saved and redeemed and sealed for the day of redemption. Real faith recognizes the danger in our tongues, and get this, real faith is desperate for heavenly wisdom from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variance from turning. As a matter of fact, that's the next passage for next week. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Perfect wisdom comes from above. Earthly wisdom is sensual and demonic. Real faith understands this tongue thing is out of control. I need heavenly wisdom. See, that's the one good thing about your out-of-control mouth. If you're a follower of Jesus, it will keep you humble. <laughs> it certainly will keep you desperate, and it will keep you reliant upon the mercy of God. See, real faith inspires you when, when your tongue does its thing. Real faith inspires you to run to the law that liberates because it understands how the tongue is full of hypocrisy. Real faith makes you hungry for heavenly wisdom to know when your words fall short of the command to speak with love. Real faith desires wisdom from God, recognizing that only through grace can our speech become a fountain of fresh water rather than a weapon for destruction. Real faith enables you to receive with humility, chapter 1, the implanted word of God that is able to save your souls. Do you see how the tongue and its uncontrolledness and all the failures, do you see how the tongue brings you to the point if you're a follower of Jesus and, and you've been given this, this enlightenment from the Spirit of God, do you see how the tongue condemns you, makes you humble so that you can say, oh Jesus, I need the law that liberates. Real faith doesn't mean our words will always be perfect, okay? Let me relieve you of that stress. But real faith means we will desire to express our love for our brothers and sisters more than we do. Through words that can inspire, that can, inhale, that can heal, that can build up rather than judge, hurt, and destroy and tear down. And in those times where your tongue reminds you of how untamable it is, 
right? And they happen. Maybe this morning has been one of them. Real faith will recognize it and run to the cross in confession. Repentance. And real faith won't really be able to rest until things are made right with your brothers and sisters in your church family. You'll want to go to this person and say, I just realized I said some things that could have been very hurtful. I don't know. My tongue was out of control. Please forgive me. When our tongue fails us, here's the good news. When our tongue fails us and you know it has failed you, the gospel covers us through the cross as the Spirit continues to do its transformational work in your life. My church family, I love you. And I want you to know, if your robes are secure, you will leave here fully aware of just how dangerous your tongue can be. Yes, the tongue is powerful. And yes, it's potentially destructive. But by God's grace, your reliable ropes of faith have revealed this truth to you this morning. And God's grace has provided the mercy you need to escape the judgment that is due for everyone for every word they've ever spoken. It has also provided for you a pathway to the Heavenly Father for the wisdom necessary to redeem your untamable tongue. Jesus, the one good thing about our mouth is that it should keep us humble if we are followers of you. There's a lot that we do with it that we shouldn't. A lot of things we say. A lot of pain we inflict. And as James says, dear Jesus, we know that those things ought not to be. But the fact of the matter is, because we are not perfect, many times they are that way. Lord Jesus, in humility, we ask for forgiveness and we run to the cross. We, we with, with meekness, receive the implanted word of God. Because we know once that happens, then out of the abundance the mouth speaks, now we can speak wisdom truth and love and hope. And Lord, when we fail, when the tongue gets out of control again, Lord, keep us humble, keep us meek, keep us relying upon you. Lord, don't let us rest if we know that we have hurt someone with our words. Lord, may we become more and more like a church that puts away malice and anger and gossip and slander and resentment and cursing. Lord, be a church that continues to put forth peace and joy and love encouragement and blessing. May we use our mouths to build one another up. So in that respect, we're thankful that just like the law shows our need for Jesus, so does our mouth. We are in desperate need of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week.